0: You know, every marriage experiences challenges. Storms come to us in life. They come to our marriages. But Scripture has some guidance that can help us know how to survive those storms. Today we're wrapping up the teaching series on the storms of life. I want you to listen because God will teach you how to survive the storms that come to your marriage. There are going to be storms in life, and there are going to be storms in your marriage. And they can come at any season. When my father died, Monisa and I were in the transition between spring and summer as a couple. There's, there's no controlling when a storm comes to your life, when it comes to your marriage. And this morning, I want you to kind of wrap your mind around something. There are two types of storms that come to marriages. Okay, two types. One, storms of your own making. Storms that you create, your spouse creates, or you create together. They are storms that you create personally. Can't blame anybody. You created it. And then secondly, there are the storms that you did not create. You can't control them. You can't stop them from coming. It's going to happen. You have to live through it, be prepared for it. Those are the two types of storms that come to marriage. And I want to begin by spending a few moments talking about the storms that we create ourselves. So, the storms that you create or your spouse created for your marriage or the two of you together. Believe it or not, some storms, a lot of storms, are created by the husband and wife in tandem. I'll give you some examples that are very common. For instance, too much debt. One of you or both of you just. Makes a lot of bad financial decisions, run up a lot of debt on credit cards, haven't learned, aren't willing to learn how to manage money, don't want a budget, don't want to live by a budget, make impulsive purchases, living above your means, trying to keep up with everybody else. That's the storm that you created. And there are people in this room and people watching by television who have created financial storms in their life because they've made those kind of decisions. Sometimes we create a storm for ourselves when it comes to our careers and our jobs. I'm not talking about when a company downsizes or other things happen and somebody loses their job. That happens. That's a different kind of storm. But sometimes people lose their job simply because they consistently showed up late for work, didn't finish projects, didn't do a good job, were lazy, had a bad attitude, didn't get along with people, lied about something, stole something. Sometimes losing your job is your own fault and when that happens, that's the storm you created and it affects your marriage and your family, right? Another example is adultery, having an affair, Physical affairs, emotional affairs, creating a storm for your marriage, a storm you created. didn't just show up. You made it. Addictions. Addiction to alcohol. Addiction to other drugs. Addiction to pornography. Addiction to gambling. God didn't do that. Other people didn't do that. You did that. You created that storm for yourself or for your family, for your marriage. Perhaps one of the most dramatic Examples in scripture of someone creating their own storm is King David. In the Old Testament book of 2nd Samuel chapter 11 verse 2 says David in the evening arose from his bed and walked around the roof of the king's house and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. Now, I know what the temptation for any man to do is But I know the right thing and the wise thing, the smart thing for a man to do is is the opposite of what David did, is to look away. He didn't do that. The woman was very beautiful in appearance, and so David sent and inquired about her. Hey, I want to find out more about her. And he learned she was Bathsheba, who her dad was, and that she was married. Now, as soon as he learned she had a husband named Uriah, what should he have done? Well, he didn't do that. He took another step. Verse 4, David sent messengers and took her, and when she came to him, he lay with her. They had sex. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. But in verse 5, she became pregnant. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but the point is David took step after step after step after step that resulted in a storm in his life and in his family. And in fact, it was a storm from which his family never fully recovered. There were problems that in the decades to come he would have with his adult children created because of his actions, his process, his decisions here. And so it wasn't just the storm that was immediately in front of him. It was storms that he would encounter with his children 20 years later. The result of his own doing at this moment in life. Sometimes storms in marriage and family we create. Now, I want you to listen to what God in the New Testament says about temptation. Turn to the book of James in the New Testament, please. The book of James chapter 1. Listen to what God says in verses 13 and, and following. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Let me ask you, did God have anything to do with David's situation but it's amazing how many times we make mistakes, we sin, we do something, and, and, and we point a finger at God. But no one say, when he's tempted, I'm, I'm tempted of God. God doesn't tempt anybody in verse 13. Verse 14, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed. It's like you, you're, you're called on a tidal wave and you're carried away, you're enticed by what? What does he say, church? Your own lust. David saw, David wanted, David lust, lusted, David was enticed and, he, and, and one step after the other it carried him away until it resulted in sin and then he had to deal with the storm, all the consequences of that sin. It, it starts in here. And then in verse 15, when lust is conceived, when you act on it, it gives birth to sin and when sin occurs, what happens when it accomplishes, it brings forth what? Death, destruction, problems, pain, misery, loss, hurt. That's what God says about temptation. So how do you deal with it? How do you deal with it in your marriage when, when, when there are in enticements? And they can take a lot of different shapes. How do you deal with them? Well, I love what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22. Run. Flee youthful lusts and instead pursue righteousness. Put your energy into developing your relationship with God rather than chasing things that God says are wrong. Now, let's let's be a little bit more practical about flee, fleeing, running away. I want to give you some examples of how you do that. And I want to suggest that you you imagine a highway with guardrails on either side to protect you, keep you on the road so you don't run off in the ditch or over the hill, Okay. In life, an intelligent person, a wise person, a devout person builds guardrails into their daily life to lessen the likelihood of them wrecking. So that when they are enticed, when they are tempted, knowing that, that giving into that would bring a storm into their marriage, a storm into their life, they put guardrails up to lessen the likelihood of that happening. For instance, dealing with the opposite sex. This is true whether you're a man or a woman. You're married, and you've heard me say before, the number one place that affairs begin is work. More than any other place. When you're dealing with the opposite sex, whether you're a man or a woman, and you are married, you are to erect some boundaries, put some guardrails in place that restrict you from being alone with someone of the opposite sex. You put a guardrail in place... That says I'm not going to share the details of my marriage with someone of the opposite sex. I'm not going to sit there and listen to someone of the opposite sex share with me about how horrible her husband or how horrible her uh, uh, his wife is, and 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 then I and then this tra- this psychological thing they teach you in counseling happens, transference, emotional transference. That's how the majority of affairs begin. And a wise person says I'm going to put a guardrail in place because I'm not bringing that storm in to my home. What about money? What are some guardrails? Because do you know that uh, in counseling money is one of the three or four primary things that create conflict? Financial issues? What are your guardrails? How about developing a budget and sticking to it? And for those of you who hate budgets, get over it. If you don't know much about managing money, take a class, read some books, learn. Don't gamble if you can't pay for it. Don't buy it. Simple. What about your job? Show up on time, ready to work with a good attitude. Work hard, work smart. Be teachable and coachable. Don't think you know everything. You can take every area of life where we create storms that, that negatively affect our relationships, our marriage, and there are guardrails we can put in place to protect us if we're wise and we're willing to do it. But I'm going to move on because I'm going to spend most of my time this morning on the storms we don't create. Those that are going to happen, and you can't stop them. You can prepare for them. There, there's things you can do that enable you to survive them and come out on the other side okay. But they're going to come. And and, and they can happen in any moment, in any season, totally unexpected. For example your children, suddenly there's a health issue. Do you know that most parents who lose a child not all, but a slight majority of parents who lose a child, that those marriages don't survive. Did you know that? That's a storm. There's a storm when your child's a teenager or a young adult or in their 30s and they're rebellious and stubborn and not smart and make bad decision after bad decision and they break your heart and and it creates tension in the home and and, and sometimes conflict between the parents. A storm you didn't create. Some CEO positions the, the corporation, the company to improve its stock value so they can then sell it for a quick profit and all of a sudden everything's reorganized or downsized or changed and you're out of a job and you've been a great employee but you're out of a job because of people you don't know anything about and it creates a storm for your marriage for your family doesn't it you're not feeling good you go to the doctor and you're sitting in that room and he walks back in and said, I've got the test results and it's cancer. You're sitting at home watching television and all of a sudden you start having these pains in your chest or your arm or your back and this tingling sensation and you break out in a sweat and suddenly there's a heart attack. That's a storm for your family, for your marriage. More and more couples, as we said the last couple of weeks, Deal with the storm of aging parents and having to care for them and all the issues associated with that. Interference by other family members into the marriage can create a storm. For young couples, infertility want a child so bad but can't get pregnant and it creates a storm. And then there's actual storms. Strong wind blows the roof off your house. A pipe burst, and everything's flooded, and perhaps your insurance doesn't cover it. And there's a storm. Things happen, right? When Moniz and I were first married, there was a flash flood in the middle of the night. And uh, one of our cars was lost. It was covered with water. We lost. I mean, we're, we're, we're newlyweds, and it was a brand new car, and we lost it. And with most auto insurance, yeah, you don't you don't get to exactly replace it. You know, you you get value, but you can't go out and buy what you had. Usually, with what you get, right? It's a storm. Today, she and I are dealing with a storm of her aging parents. Six hours from us and four hours from her brother because they wouldn't move and still won't. Don't do that to your kids, people. Because they don't receive the care they could. It's a storm. And it creates challenges and stress. And in between those, we've, we've had different seasons in life, just like many of you. We've endured the storms. Uh, my father dying. Monisa's sister and brother-in-law dying in that plane crash. Storms are a part of life. And, and some you create. Listen, there are enough storms in life that you don't create. Why would you ever create any extra of your own making? Life's hard enough as it is. Don't make it tougher. You know, research tells us that during these storms, times of great stress, some things happen. You've noticed this. Think about it. When you're really stressed, every little thing seems bigger, (laughs) right? And when we're under great stress, we react with more intensity, with more emotion to even little things. They bother us more, not just the big things, even the little things. Because that that stress and all those burdens and all those fears and all that concern make it difficult for us to think clearly and normally and react wisely. And so little things... We react to with more intensity, and that's why all of a sudden you find yourselves fighting over stupid stuff. Can I get a witness? Huh? Research tells us, and we know this from experience, that it's more difficult to communicate and talk with each other effectively and calmly during times of stress. And, and we have a harder time resolving conflict because at times we feel like we're in a cloud and, and we can only control certain things. And so we end up fighting about the same things over and over and over and over. Is this resonating? We know from research as well as experience that during times of great stress, we tend to become more negative and view everything more negatively than it really is, including the marriage. In fact, you look at each other more negatively than you normally would because you're under all that stress. Now, what does the Bible say about all this, dealing with these kinds of storms? Well, Jesus said, hey, sun will shine on everybody, good, bad, bad. Rain will fall on everybody, good and bad. In other words, just because you love Jesus doesn't mean there will not be storms in your life. Just because there's a storm in your life does not mean you didn't love Jesus. Sometimes, I, I, I hear it all the time from people, and it's bad theology, bad theology, but I hear it all the time. I must have done something to make God mad for that to happen in my life. No, sometimes the rain just falls. But as long as you are alive in your sinful body, living in this sinful world, the rain will sometimes fall. And guess what? It's not always fair because some people get rained on more than others. So don't think you can become so spiritual and so right with God, there won't be any storms. Listen, from the moment you are conceived, storms are in your future because you have an imperfect, sinful body and someday it will have the storm of sickness no matter how godly you are. Do you understand that? But God says when you're going through those, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19, He said, Therefore those who suffer according to the will of God. You're living in the will of God and doing what's right, and you suffer, what what are they supposed to do? Entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. In other words, when you're suffering as a righteous person, you entrust your life and your destiny to God and keep doing what is right. Because your trust in God and your doing what's right does not depend on circumstances but on God and your relationship with Him. Keep trusting Him. Do what is right. Jesus talked about, you know, you're going to build your house on the sand or you're going to build it on, on, on the rock. What kind of foundation are you building your life on? If you're building your life on a shallow foundation, on a shaky foundation, on a bad theology and bad belief system foundation, on an unbiblical understanding of reality and life, when the storms come and the wind blows and the waves crash, the house crumbles. Book of James, look at chapter 1. Book of James, chapter 1. We looked at what he said about temptation, now we're going to look at what he says about trials. And by the way, I want you all to know something. Do you know that the Greek word in your Bible, your English Bible, the Greek word of the New Testament that in your English Bible is translated temptation is the same word that in other passages is, is translated as trials? In other words, one word for both temptation and trial because it's like a coin. One side is head and the other side is tails who's at work in your life and how you're responding to it determines whether that event in your life is a temptation or a trial, a temptation or a test. You ultimately determine which it is by your response. Interesting, isn't it? Every experience is both. Every experience is both. Every temptation is a test of your faith. Every test of your faith is a temptation to give up on God and run the other way. The book of James chapter 1 verse 2, consider it all joy. I think the King James says, count it all joy. (laughs) I remember early in my Christian life reading that and thinking, man, that's preposterous. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into, the King James says, or when you encounter various trials. You mean when I fall into a hard time, I'm supposed to say, Hey, Jesus, this is good. Huh? Well, no, that's not what he's saying. But he does say count or consider it all joy when you encounter or fall into. And by the way, the, the, the Greek is the idea that you're walking along and you fall into a hole. That's what a trial, these storms that you don't create are. Now, if you fall into a hole you dug, well you know what you are. But, okay, but sometimes storms come, dig a hole, and you didn't create it and you fall into it. That's what he's talking about here. It's it's a storm, it's a trial you fall into and you had no control over that. Consider it all joy, my brother, when you encounter fall into these various trials, these things that test your faith, these storms that you didn't create. Now, the word translated consider or count there is a specific word that means to look ahead. It's the idea that I'm, I'm considering it this because I know the outcome. I look down the road. I look beyond the immediate crisis. I look beyond the immediate storm. I look beyond the immediate problem, the immediate situation, the immediate circumstance. I look down the road, and I see more than now. I see down the road, and because of that, I count it joy, not this painful thing, but what's down the road. Knowing that. See, we're not dumb. God, listen, God tells us stuff in Scripture that the world hasn't figured out yet. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Some people say, man, I wish my faith was stronger. I wish I I, I was more. (laughs) Well, get through what you're going through to be strong enough to go through whatever comes later. What's that old saying in, 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 in sports? No pain, no. If you're not willing to lift weights today, don't don't expect to be stronger tomorrow. It produces endurance, and then when you when you develop endurance, it has a perfect result. It produces something, makes you perfect or complete, mature. Do, do you know that the greatest lessons in life are learned through experience, right? Now, I'm going to bring this around to marriage, okay? What he's saying is when, when all this stuff is happening and it's crushing you, okay, it's there. You, you can either so focus on the storm and be crushed by it, or, or last week I talked about looking up. You, you can look up. You can see Christ. You can look to Him, and allow God to do a work in your life, and and in the process do a work in your marriage. Or you can so focus on the storm and let it do all that stuff that they normally that it normally does in people's lives, and, and then you you throw all that onto the marriage and mess up the marriage. I'm gonna jump ahead to. First Corinthians thirteen. Do you know <clears throat> do you know what you <clears throat> what you do with your marriage when you're going through tough times through these storms? It's this passage that everybody likes to read at weddings. I heard it at a wedding yesterday. Love is what? <clears throat> what church? Love is patient. And love is kind. It's not jealous, does not brag, is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly does not seek its own, is not easily provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Here's the thing. When you are married and there's a storm in your life that you all did not create, you keep loving God, you keep trusting Him and doing what is right, and you keep loving each other and doing what is right toward each other the things that were read at the wedding, you need to do those during the storm more than any other time in your life. But if we're not careful because we become so consumed by the storm, we stop doing 1 Corinthians 13. So here's some practical suggestions. You may want to write them down. Make it a habit that you're going to extend grace to each other because you're both on edge and that you're going to practice forgiveness even when you don't feel like it. Don't play the blame game. Don't isolate yourself from others. Don't isolate yourself from the church, from your friends, from your family. Allow for each of you to have different emotional reactions because we're all different and one will react one way and the other will react a different way. Allow for that and allow some time for emotional reaction. People will deal with things at a different pace. Focus on dealing with the problem instead of turning on each other. Be attentive to each other every day. Pay attention to each other. Don't make it just about you and how you feel and what you need and what you want. Do the little things. Do the little things every day. Do the, do, do the little things. It's not just about the big things. In fact, I'm going to tell you successful marriages are not about the big things, they're about the day to day little things. Because one big thing's not going to make up for a whole bunch of little cuts. Every day finding little ways to show love and compassion. Spend some time together and talk and talk openly about your feelings and be kind while you do it. Pray, 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 pray alone and pray together. It's hard to, to, to hate somebody when you've been on your knees beside them praying for the last five or ten minutes. Hmm? Try it if you don't believe me. might revolutionize your love life. Do loving things even when you don't feel like it. Lean on Jesus, fellow believers, the church, your Sunday school class. See, the thing is, I can't tell you when storms are going to come. I can't tell you what storms you're going to have. You don't even know what storms you're going to have. Just know you're going to have them. Remember the very first sermon. What did we say? Two most important relationships. very first sermon, right? relationship with God because before there was husband and wife there was man and God. So what did we just say? Through the storms, trust God keep doing what is right. Second most important relationship what? Your wife, your husband, your marriage before children because before you were mom, before there was mom and dad there was husband and wife. And what do you do during the storms? You keep loving each other. You keep loving each other. You don't turn on each other. You be kind to each other little ways and daily. And, 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 and so you just say, no matter, what, no matter 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 what, I'm taking care of those two relationships above everything because if you do that, you'll get through anything.